Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Hi, folks. Welcome to the show. We're going to get started here in just a second. But first, if you're looking for the most convenient way to listen to The Bob Seska Show, I've got a solution for you. The Patreon app for your smartphone is the best way to stay up to date with new shows, and it's the best way to listen. Here's why. Every time there's a new episode, you're going to get an automatic alert on your phone, notifications for the free shows on Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays, and notifications for the Friday after party and the postmortem shows, too. You can listen at home or in the car with a couple of swipes, and you can join our community of listeners, too, in the comments under each show. Oh, and you can manage your subscriptions without ever sitting down at a computer. Subscribe for as little as $1 a month at bobseskashow.com or patreon.com slash bobseskashow, then download the Patreon app from the App Store on your phone. Thank you for supporting this completely independent podcast, and now let the cartoons begin. The Bob Seska Show. Bob Seska. Shit's getting way too complicated for me. The Bob Seska Show. From our nation's capital, it is Wednesday, August 4, 2021, and this is the interview edition of the Bob Seska Show on the Sexy Liberal Podcast Network. Hi, what's up? My name is Bob. Hello, Bob. Hello. Day 197 of the Biden-Harris administration, four to 61 days until the 22 midterms. Find me on Instagram at TheBobSeska and on Twitter at BobSeska underscore go. So the amazing Rachel Bittacoffer is back on the show today to talk about Democratic messaging and her brand new political action committee called Strike Pack. StrikePack.org to check it out. But before we jump in, we had some audio trouble on today's show. It happens. You'll hear it coming up here, so I don't really need to explain. Other than to say, this is the best we could do, given how not everyone has a studio-quality microphone hooked up to Zoom, right? Hopefully it won't be too distracting, because what we discussed today is of paramount importance. How do Democrats break through the noise and connect with enough voters to overcome Republican populism, cheating, corruption, and so on? Meanwhile, if you like what you hear today, don't forget to subscribe to our bonus content at patreon.com slash Show. Okay, here comes the doc, the great Rachel Bittacopper. I'm in the process of packing up and moving all the way across the country, so I'm not kind of displaced. Why are you moving? To return back to Oregon, to Eugene, Oregon, because it's a wonderful place to live. <laughs> Nice. And I'm not tied to a physical office anymore, so I am taking. I uh, am. Uh, I am going home, dude. You're so you're originally from Eugene, Oregon, huh? 
well, I wasn't born there, but yeah, I mean, I consider it to my home. <laughs> Do you still have family out there? Oh, I don't have any family out there. I mean, my friends are my family out there, but yeah, yeah I uh, settled there after Grateful Dead, like after Jerry Garcia died mm-hmm. and uh, only left because apparently it's really difficult to get a PhD in poli sci and, and state in Oregon. There's only like two schools that even offer it. And then you, you don't want to go to either of them because they're not good enough for you to get a job after. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> well, congratulations. It's a, it's a big move to go across country like that. And that's a, a big oh, step. Yeah. It's yeah, a pain yeah. In the ass, dude. You know, I, I noticed you tweeted uh, earlier about Devin Nunez's slap suit against Rachel Maddow. I want to talk to you about that. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I wrote up a, a list of like dozens and dozens of similar suits, including like public campaigns to boycott everything. We've heard all the stories about Mr. Potato Head and Trump's going after big tech. This is all red hat cancel culture, isn't it, Rachel? Yeah, I mean, the, there's the original cancel culture is is the right, right? Yeah, uh, it's something that Strike Pack intends to make a big point out of, especially because they're, you know, if you look at every ad that they're cutting right now, they always mention, you know, the what I, I mean, really, it's more than a trifecta. Mm-hmm. They have socialism, defund the police, and yeah. crime, right? Yeah. Soon it will be inflation and how Biden's like the next Jimmy Carter, mm-hmm. and then. On top of that, it's woke culture, cancer, cancel culture. So I intend to lob counter offenses at them on that particular topic in a very innovative way that I can't disclose right now. Oh, so <laughs> we're talking about Strike Pack here. This is your new political action committee. Uh, tell me about uh, how this came about, how you decided to form this. I decided to form it on election night um, of 2020, watching under the best fundamentals that a party could ever hope to have. <laughs> uh, Democrats lose like net 13, 14 house seats. Yeah. Fail to flip the completely winnable main Senate race. They allowed something like 30,000 people to go into ballot booths and split ticket. It never happens anymore in the polarized era that split ticket balloting is a thing. There's a couple mm. of exceptions to that. And they let 30,000 plus people go in and vote Biden Collins, right? Yeah. And uh, the reason is, you know, someone says to me, I won't say who, but it was a, it's a, in the, within this consulting world. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, well, what were you supposed to do? You know, Maine voters just like Susan Collins. Yeah. I'm like, dude, you make them not like her. <laughs> what do you mean? What are you supposed to do? You're yeah, yeah. Shit on her brand and make... There are no, you know, degrees of separation between Marjorie Taylor Greene and Donald Trump and her. It's, you know, what they do to us, right? They yeah, yeah. By every politician to Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, which is no, you know, even, even though um, her and the squad are by far ideologically the most liberal, most extreme members of the Democrats' House coalition, mm-hmm. they are nowhere near as extreme as like 40% of the current Republican House caucus, right? Yeah, yeah. And we can see this mathematically. So yeah, I, I decided on that night, uh, you know, I put everything into beating Donald Trump and, and didn't have, I was going to have to find the next thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, that could have been, you know, building, continuing to build my media and like uh, journalism, political journalism, um, you know, stuff, 
or it could be building an infrastructure that's capable of actually waging war at the GOP while democracy is on the line, you know? So that's what yeah. I decided to do. And I really tell people it's a SpaceX, right? Like, so like the Democrats entire electioneering organizational infrastructure, you know, all these many, many organizations, including the official party stuff that they're, they're trying to get to space. And so am I, but I'm going to space in an entirely different way. Well, it sounds as much an instruction manual for Democrats on messaging as it is, you know, an issues thing or an election thing, right? I mean, this is all about teaching yes. Democrats how to do better messaging, how not to lose campaigns like the one against Susan Collins in Maine and so on, right? Yeah, how not to lose winnable elections, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, how, to, how to go out there and brand the GOP, right? You have to, mm-hmm. because what they do to us, I mean, their entire system is based on maximized coalitional turnout. Yeah. That means card-carrying base Republicans, yes, but also all those right-leaning independents. And the way that the GOP does that is by feeding them a never-ending hyperbolic brand assault about how terrible Democrats are, how radical they are, how crazy they are. And they're doing all these crazy things and they want to destroy your way of life. Right. Mm -hmm, Um, And our side is still engaging in electioneering. Like it's the old world where if you have the right candidate and the right argument, that's all that matters. Right. And that is so naive. Right. Because Mm -hmm. that's not, we can see it in the data that 95% of people who are either partisans or lean, it's their independent leaners, vote for their own party. And that's true of every competitive election in the country. Mm -hmm. So if if you're building your system with trying to ignore that assumption, that reality, and the second one, which is that most voters know nothing about politics and they don't care. So if you, you you have to make them care and you have to control the narrative of what they care about mm-hmm. that's what the gop does so well and strike pack is is desperately trying to um do but also lead by example right so when you said it's more about a, a manual my my best dream would be that every outfit and every organization on the left centralizes around these innovations that we're introducing. Mm-hmm. And if those things were to happen, we would have decent odds, I mean, of staving off, which is one of the worst fundamentals we could possibly hope to face as the midterm cycle. And then you combine it with this gerrymander that's coming from the GOP. And like, this is an all hands on deck, five alarm fire moment. So, well, you know, the Democrats seem to have 99% of the creative community. Yet our ads and messaging are so watered down and ordinary. Why can't we do this? Why can't we tap into all of these creative people, whether it's Hollywood people, what have you? Because we have the truth on our side, because we have facts on our side, because we have science on our side. Seems like it would be easy to market that if you combine the reality of everything with you know, the people who are best at doing this sort of thing, who know how to deliver a message, whether it's in in the form of marketing or storytelling or joke writing. I don't understand where this disconnect is. The Republicans don't have really anybody except Scott Baio and Ted Nugent, but yet somehow their messaging is really, yeah, I don't understand the disparity. Other than their check writing, which, you know, uh, I mean... 
doesn't help you to give money if it's not going to uh, effective techniques. Yeah. Right? So other than check writing out of the Hollywood like asset, right? So like, you know, if I was sitting and I was running strategy for the entire party, like the, it's funny that you should mention that because this is a huge component. I, I would go into Hollywood where we have, as you just pointed out, the most creative people, not just in the country, but in the world. <laughs> yeah. And they have these, you know, we don't have a right wing media ecosystem, but you know, and they and and but we have the rest of the system, mm-hmm. right? And we can and we see it having profound power, right? To to help um bring gay rights to where it is, Hollywood, TV shows, movies, absolutely essential right so like we know there's power in this untapped asset mm-hmm. um but you're right i mean but here's the thing is with you know the creative that i design with my team and i'm the person that designs our you know we design our ads like our creative is internal it's it's part of the uh renovation to strategy that we're marketing yeah um, so if you go so when you want to say why can't we create these ads well i've created four of them you mm-hmm. people who are listening to this podcast should go and check them out yeah they're yeah. not like ads you've seen ever from anybody on the left right yeah <laughs> and, that's uh, uh i can and i have many more of these wonderful ideas some of them really could use some volunteer work from the hollywood world that doesn't involve checks it involves pro bono like stuff you know actor soundstage things like that 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 the that could allow me to create to pull out of my head some of these creative concepts that would just I think stop conversation. They're so powerful, right? Yeah. So it is really frustrating to me that we've got this you know huge asset mm-hmm. and we have few compared to them in terms of you know where we're at right now in time electorally. The GOP has outfoxed us almost across the board in electioneering. And if you if you don't believe me, let me tell you this: we win. When we're out of power, uh, you know, and the GOP was in power, so they should have been getting their asses kicked into 2018 and 2020. Yeah, yeah. And they they did not, okay? And in most of these competitive places, there are less registered Republicans than there are Democrats and leaners, right? Mm -hmm. And yet they outperform us in turnout because their operation is designed to, um, you know, stakes frame and tap into emotion, and you know, really get these people engaged. We have a complacency problem again now because Trump is gone and most people are not us and they don't yeah. they think things are fine now. They don't realize that actually we're in a more precarious spot now in terms of the continuance of this democracy than we were one year ago. The thing that uh, drives me nuts here is the culture, American culture is liberal. And yet it seems to still be this 50-50 divide between Republicans and Democrats, where these elections come down to a few percentage points one way or another. What specifically do Democrats need to do in order to break through that barrier and and not only seize upon the fact that the culture is increasingly liberal, but just the the basic rightness, the, the, the fact that Democrats have been correct on so many of these things, going all the way back to Social Security and, and Medicare and the Affordable Care Act. And all I tell people that, Bob, yeah. right? I mean, we just think people are going to magically know. 
Yeah. Hey, you know, <laughs> right. that, that family leave and, and sick pay and all this shit that I have, yeah. like these relief checks, you know, like, and, and it's not enough though. I mean, I would argue, I mean, we need to do that because we've never done it properly, mm-hmm. but it's not enough to just do that either. What you want to do is make people feel the threat of losing yeah. the things that they care about. Right. Um, which again is what the GOP is so effective at. And so, you know, when you ask me, why are these elections 50, 50, you know, frankly, there's a lot of these districts where that should not be the case. I mean, mm-hmm. losing these orange County districts in 2020 it, it is, un, it's almost, it's, it, it, it should be impossible <laughs> according yeah. to my model. Right. Um, highly college educated districts. Uh, we don't re- lean into our, our own realignment. We keep trying to fight the one that we cannot fight, which is, you know, white working class men, especially getting picked off and realigning to the Republican Party because guess what? Spoiler alert, it's about race. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and white men, we're basically a, a living through a transitional period of human civilization, right? Something that you would put on the timeline that goes back to the ancient cultures of BC, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we're living through this transition though, and it's a it's a paradigm that we have lived in, in as far as I know throughout recorded history. And that is, I mean, not at least especially um, you know, in terms of gender, like men have dominated the world, right? Yeah, of course. And now that they have to share their pie with women. Mm-hmm. And then in America specifically, white men, you know, they are they owned everything. And now they have to control they have to share that control, not just with women, but minorities. And and that threat is very easy to exploit, especially amongst the economically impoverished. And that's what the GOP has done very adeptly. They broke union um unions and then that allowed these voters to become unmoored to unions for that reason right and very susceptible to these racial dog whistles I mean, really they become megaphones now right yeah um, as the party collapses in the neo-fascism and that's you know that's a really scary place for us all to be because america as you know is becoming browner mm-hmm. every um uh four years and the Republican Party, which is now a, it's still, it's a conservative white party. The realignment of the South, the voters didn't change. It's just that they used to be conservative whites in the Democratic Party. And 30, 40 years later, they're all in the Republican Party. Um, you know, they seem intent to trade off so- social unrest, at least, and potentially serious political violence in order to hold on to power. The thing that I keep thinking about, Rachel, is how difficult it is to message against a party, the Republican Party, that is shameless about exploiting populism and just lies, Uh, just blatant, flagrant propaganda and lies. They seem to have an advantage because they're willing to go there. I don't understand quite how the Democrats can compete on that playing field because it seems like the Republicans have set that up. We're going to just tell you whatever you want to hear. And the Democrats, well, we just can't do that. That's just I don't think that's within our DNA. How do we fight that fire with fire or do we? Well, that's literally my the one of my mottos for strike back, right, is that, you know, I'm fighting fire with fire. And yeah. If Democrats think that they can't do that, then they're, I got to, you know, that's again, we're in a position where these 22 midterms are coming. Mm-hmm. The fundamentals are against us and we couldn't, we couldn't win 
with the deployment strategy messaging the system that we have in 2020 with the best fundamentals you could ask for, yeah. right? So, like to answer your question, you're right. No, Democrats will never be able to effectively offset that, and I don't know that they really understand how powerful it is, right? So, like right now on the right, they're painting not only have they successfully moved public opinion on that side from you know yes we had an armed insurrection to almost you know 70 percent now don't even believe that 90 percent of republicans think the election had fraud right at, at the very least probably 70 something 75 percent of republicans think joe biden's illegitimately elected that yeah. it was stolen right mm-hmm. um and now they're painting you know even if there is an insurrection it was nancy pelosi's fault right um, they're going to tell they, they are willing and able to tell people that Joe Biden raised taxes on the middle class. Right. Yeah. Even though you know, the child tax credit and stuff like that, this stuff, I mean, there's been nothing better for the middle class than the Biden admin. So, you know, that's why I built strike pack. Now I have this aircraft carrier. All I need is gas to deploy. And I am convinced that if I'm not the person that comes out there and fires back at them and, you know, make sure that the shit that we're saying about them is as, as compelling and scary and concerning. And the nice thing is for us, we don't have to lie. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. I mean, this is a party that's collapsing into neo-fascism. This is a party whose 40 year economic record has decimated the American middle-class decimated America's infrastructure killed us in terms of international rankings and healthcare, education, you know, you name it, except for plastic surgery, right? So like the things that we need to say about the GOP, that they're a party of extremists run by extremists for extremists, those are things that are empirically demonstrably true. What happens when Donald Trump is no longer the standard bearer of the Republican Party? It seems like he's the only thing keeping that whole ship afloat, right? Or am I misreading this? I don't know. I don't see any other way that the Republicans are surviving at this point electorally other than the fact that Donald Trump is this charismatic character that's rallying the base and they're turning out. But you strip him out of that equation and what happens to the Republican Party? Well, it depends on how he's stripped out, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. if he's stripped out by the Republican Party, well, let's just say he's no longer of, he's no longer active. He's no longer running. He's decided, okay, yeah, I'm going to continue to do reality shows. Yeah. To, to, yeah. to the listener and, and maybe to you guys, this, okay. this is the reality. Okay, it is a very dangerous illusion to look at this Republican Party um, that's blocking, that actively blocked the January sixth committee and all of these other crazy things that are happening within that party mm-hmm. and say this is a party that's headed off into electoral um, obscurity blah 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 okay mm-hmm. that is not how politics in this uh, environment of hyperpartisanship and polarization on the right especially works okay like in 2020 republicans right leaning independents showed up big time for a GOP and a Republican president that could not have had a worse record, right? Yeah, yeah. They don't, it doesn't matter. They don't care who it is. I mean, they want it right now to be Trump, but it could easily transition to De- DeSantis, okay? Mm-hmm. 
or someone like that. Gnome, uh, Abbott in Texas. Like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if your candidate rides a motorcycle and used to be a cop, whatever. At the end of the day, the Republican coalition is going to show up and they're going to vote for Republican candidates. The only thing that's variable is how many of us are going to show up to offset that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And, and the idea that the Republican Party is, you know, dooming themselves to demographics. Well, yeah, guys, if votes get counted and elections get certified. Yeah. And guess what the Republican Party has done? I mean, they, they have understood that they have tied themselves albatross to Trump, to racism, to this white like backlash moment in time. Mm-hmm. A, a moment that's so dangerous in 245 years of American democracy, only one time in our history has the, you know, the democracy that we live in limited as it was back then come on the point of collapse right and we're living through the second time the first time was the civil war um you know they believe that we are destroying democracy because that's what they're told by tucker carlson every night sean hannity and rush limbaugh is dead but whatever right Mm. and they think they're the good guys and that we're the bad guys they think that their allegiance to their party their tribe their participation, their money is 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 what's necessary to preserve America. Yeah. They don't they think they're the good side, okay? And and like the, the Republican Party, no matter what it does, even if let's say we get to a point where they start using control, back end control of certification in Georgia and Texas. Like to you know, literally steal races or you know, in 2024 refuse to, to certify Biden. There is no point and nothing at this point that the Republican Party can do that will cost it its current coalition. Mm-hmm. And we must behave as if this is the last gasp that we have to head off their abuse of the of control of government to you know, basically flip or eliminate this demographics, our destiny problem, because that is ultimately the goal. Yeah. 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 And uh, I mean, it's a very, very serious moment in time. They know that they're living in a serious moment of time on the left. We're like, yeah, Olympics, you know, the thing that I am running up against quite a bit is I'm seeing a lot of people who are being gaslit successfully by yeah. uh, people who look at the political playing field in this country and they see, well, both sides deserve each other. And is the, the Democratic side. And I'm talking about everyone from the most conservative Democrats all the way down to Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders and some of the others they are, or I should say we are empirically correct on these things, right? Whether it's the issues or the current events of the day, the things that we're analyzing as voters, as activists, as commentators, and so on, the left is intrinsically correct on these things, right? I mean, it's not when uh, Don Jr. goes on Twitter and says, oh yeah, all those Democrats and Joe Biden, they're all fascists. That's bullshit, right? But some people hear that and go, well, you know, there they go. So I guess both sides are fascist. 
No, I mean, guys, people need to understand. Like with Midas, Touch, Us, Strike Pack, Lincoln Project, there's at least three people who are willing to call the pot black, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so we, and through our various enterprises, have been using words like authoritarianism. And for me particularly, I, you know, we call them fascists in our ad, right? Yeah. And so, like, what I want, what I'm going to use this opportunity to do is to highlight, like, on the on our side, we're like Walking Dead zombies about messaging, talking points, narrative setting, media manipulation, all of those things. On that side, it, it's what you just said. If everybody's authoritarian and fascist, then nobody is, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So, like, the right, their strategist, I guarantee you, has advised them use the word call them authoritarian and fascist because if they if we muddy the waters on those things those attacks will not be able to stick to us in the fall of 22 okay yeah yeah. now you know keep in mind like that's that's strategic maneuvering right Mm -hmm. that's not just like letting you know shit land wherever it lands and just you know then picking you know looking at the puddle then that's manipulating where shit's going to land. Right. And like, that's what I'm trying to get this party to understand. Like we're, we're up against a team that is, you know, excellent at strategic planning, maneuvering long time, short term, like that. And that's the stuff that they do when they see this advantage start to emerge. What do they do? They start calling us, they call Nancy a Pelosi an authoritarian, right? Mm-hmm. So they can cloud the meaning of that and hopefully dull the effect. A technique, by the way, that never once occurred to us, I mean, not to us, to me, but to us, the rest of us, to use with socialism, yeah. right? Yeah. So like, um, you know, and I have an app for that, right? Like it's it's so important for people to understand like the the reason the whole GOP turned in one week on a dime, all these governors, even the ones that are ridiculous, you know, oh, people should get. I never said people shouldn't get vaccinated. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like the reason is, like somebody's looking at the internal messaging, and they're like, oh gosh, like this is a point of vulnerability if if Democrats invite us for it. Now they won't, but I will. Like I plan to come to Florida and on these other states where if I have the money and I'm going to make sure that Rick uh, Ron DeSantis is pinned to those COVID deaths, all, all many, many thousands of which are a product directly of his policy. So like, you know, I'm going to indict him for that, but you know, on our side, we don't stop to think how important that narrative is. We think about persuasion and electioneering at the individual level, we totally forget how important that aggregate narrative is. And, you know, they're running a brand war against us. So if we aren't running a brand war against them, they're going to win the 2022 argument, no matter how much um, stuff the the Democrats do or don't do economically for this country while mm. they're in power. So is your assessment that there is absolutely, when it comes down to who's right and who's wrong on the issues and all points in between, the left is typically right on most, if not all of these things, right? Because when this kind of messaging is being used, when the Republican messaging, the populism and lies about the other side, people begin to internalize it where they feel like, 
am I really correct on this? Am I really correct in believing that the climate crisis is real and that women should have the right to choose and the, you know, and on down the line. And so we begin to question ourselves, but we shouldn't, should we? No, I mean, uh, there's very few issues the Republican party has an advantage on Mm -hmm. and a couple of them like the economy and taxes are issues they should not have an advantage on that, mm-hmm. that r- really demonstrate this deficit of branding and messaging, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, the GOP, you know, they, they've been in charge of 10 of the last 11 recessions. Mm-hmm. When they say low taxes, they don't mean you. Right, right. <laughs> right? Like wealth redistribution. Okay. They've redistributed all of the middle class's wealth to the rich, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, it really is. It is, it, 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 there's this, there, so here's the big problem with, with our side. The people who are making these, who work on campaigns, the candidates that run, the people who talk about it generally are liberal and smart and, you know, wonky. And the electorate, it, you can, the electorate doesn't care. I mean, we, we, if you don't, if you don't, all right, you don't pr- properly leverage that policy advantage, then it's useless. So let me, let me bring it down to a, like a case study or an, an example. Okay. Florida, right? You run $15 minimum wage increase in the Florida ballot. And literally thousands of people go in and they vote yes on that. Okay. And then they vote for Republican candidates. <laughs> so there's obviously a massive disconnect from what people support policy-wise and what we do in terms of our marketing branding messaging, mm-hmm. right? Because like, like if I, and, and you can see this shit in the polls, right? So like you can see in Arizona, $15 minimum wage is very popular, right? Someone should tell cinema because it is, right? Yeah. Yeah. Pro pot legalization, very popular. It's about 50% everywhere, basically, right? Except for your deepest, reddest states. And yet so what you should be doing is telling the electorate when these things are on the ballot, if you want this thing, you better understand these other people are keeping you from it. We don't do that. So like we can, we win all these policy debates, but the public doesn't think about politics at all with our sophistication. Like if you strap people on the street and ask them what the Democrats and Republicans stand for, what policy, you're going to find just a real dearth of intellect, civic, you yeah, know, information. Yeah. And so like we have to be doing I mean, if we're going to talk about policy, it should be extremely popular things that the Republicans are blocking. And that's the point that you make, right? Yep. And we should be doing it in emotive ways, right? So, like, not some wonky ad with, like, news headlines <laughs> flipping around, right? <laughs> yeah. And all these stupid, like, small print things, right? Mm-hmm. Like, no. Yeah. Uh-uh. Yeah. Like you got to make it a motive. You got to make it about me because we're the only we people like 15% of the country period is uh, conducive to we collective do it for the best for the be- betterment of everybody. Right. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. And our ads, like what we need to be doing is making voters, almost every voter feel a personal loss or gain or fear or threat. You know, I've been meaning to ask you for some time now, and you mentioned Kirsten Cinema uh, a second ago. What is her end game? Rachel, I don't know a single Democrat who's like, 
Kirsten Cinema, boy, she's awesome. What, go Kirsten Cinema. No one is saying that. So what is she trying to do? What kind of end around is she attempting here, if any, or is she just uh, making it up as she goes along? Because it seems like that might be the case too. Or is there some sort of long-term cozying up to the Republicans she's attempting here? I don't get what her strategy is. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't get her strategy either. I, I had opened up kind of with the assumption that she is under the impression that she needs a, um, that her pathway to re-election is is conversion of Republicans. And I would tell Kristen Sinema that that is dead wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, there's about ten points of, of crossover vote in Arizona. That's about the national average. And that crossover vote is pretty stagnant. So, I mean, it's in every cycle, every poll, you know, Uh, her bread and butter is Mark Kelly's pathway, right? Which is massive, massive high turnout. And that's turnout of young people, of college educated people, and in Arizona in particular, Latino uh, voters, right? Mm -hmm. And like there's, you know, there... There's literally nothing. There's no if Republicans are willing to support Donald Trump through a coup, a multiple point coup attempt, um, you know, extortion scandal in Ukraine and, um, you know, all of these other things. I don't know why anyone would think not voting for one of these, you know, spending bills or voting rights is going to do anything to convert these people. Right. It's not happening. Okay, we'll get back to Rachel here in just one second. But first, who doesn't love hanging out in loungewear? Well, loungewear used to be code for hideously ugly sweats. Even your pets used to make fun of you and judge you. That's a thing of the past, though, with Cozy Earth. The people known for creating luxuriously soft, cool sheets made of bamboo have done it again. They've taken loungewear to a whole new level with their comfy, super soft selections in gorgeous styles and colors. From wonderful pajama sets, leggings, and tees, every item is sourced from earth-friendly bamboo for enhanced breathability and temperature regulation. You'll find something you can't lounge without... At Cozy Earth. See why Oprah described Cozy Earth's pajamas as the softest ever in O Magazine. Best of all, go to CozyEarth.com now, enter promo code STEPHANIE35, and save 35% on their loungewear and bedding. That's CozyEarth.com, promo code STEPHANIE35. CozyEarth.com. Thank you. The Bob Seska Show. What's your forecast for 22? We have the map, right? Democrats have the advantage of the map at least on the, the Senate side. So what's going to happen? Is it too far out to see? Well, I mean, it's like 2018, right? Yeah. It's a tale of two elections where the House was extremely conducive to the Democrats because there was a ton of college-educated realigning districts that they had underperformed in. And, and the, the Trump bump, the, the participation and interest bump from Trump was bound to benefit them. And the, but the Senate map featured de-aligning states, states like Missouri, North Dakota, and Indiana, hmm. that the you know historically had been fine for Democrats, but now that white working class voters have moved to the right, those those Midwestern, lower Midwestern states are basically lost causes, right? Yeah. So like that, 2022 is a tale of two two maps. And let me just tell you this. Like you asked me what's my forecast for 2022. Like the Democrats are facing uh, a huge midterm 
fundamental of the president's seat losing parties. It's only been disrupted twice in 40 years, and one of those times was the election after 9-11. Mm-hmm. What that teaches us is that if the referendum effect is not, if, if the conversation is not about the in-party, and you can shape a referendum narrative about the other party, right? Um, that that was happened naturally in 2002, but we you could articulate one, then we have a chance. But the fact is that they're going to gerrymander almost to a House majority. We have to retake some of these drop districts in 20. And I don't want to leave anybody with a with a, the false impression that ticket splitting was common in 2020. It was not. Okay, we've never seen higher rates of party loyalty and party balloting across, you know, going re- uh, Republican, Republican, Republican across all three offices. Mm. 2020 is an apex. And we're at so high, we're well into the 90s on this now, okay? So, like, yes, in Maine, which has an unusual amount of independence, you know, cross ballots happen. You have a, a couple of sections where in Maryland and Massachusetts, liberal voters there keep putting mo- you know, moderate, I guess you would call them, but, you know, in theory, liberal Republicans into the gubernatorial offices anyway. Uh, but generally speaking, ticket splitting is extraordinarily uncommon now. Mm-hmm. And that's because what matters at elections is party, party, and party. And that's for 95% of the electorate. So you really have to blow up coalitional turnout. So I, and I mentioned that because if, if we're able to stave off and hold the House, um, it will be by one seat, <laughs> and that, and if we were able to do that, it will be one of the best upsets in American history. Okay, that the Democrats hold the House. So that is how hard the task at hand is for Strike Pack, for me, for Democrats, for Harrison, for everybody's concerned. And unlike in 2010 or 2014 or whatever, you can't just say, "Oh, well, you know, these things are tough." Oh, geez. Because if we lose this one, guys, we lose democracy. Yeah, yeah. Right? Period. There, I mean, anybody who thinks, watching what they're doing, the state and local level, seeing these statements put out by House leadership, uh, who thinks that this is a Republican Party that is not hell-bent on, on you know, basically de- refusing to certify a Joe Biden victory in 2024, which is the end of American democracy. <laughs> okay? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, anybody who doesn't think that after if they're they're not paying attention to what's happening within that party. Right. So those are the stakes that we're facing. And you're right. The Senate offers us an opportunity to hold on to our majority. Again, we're looking at a very razor thin majority if if you can do it. And that involves, you know, holding on to Warnock's seat, which they are doing their best to make it difficult for him to do beyond normal difficulty of decline turnout in the midterm and you know we can pick up pennsylvania and wisconsin right um but that is not a gimme it it depends on whether the candidates running and i think some of the front runners and at least in, in a couple of those races seem to understand this that it's about turnout that they must have massive buy-in from the left side of the spectrum to have any hope at all because in pennsylvania 2018 the senate seat was out of reach for republicans yeah. but that's because turnout was going to be in the high 50s right mm-hmm. it was in the 50s i mean that should never happen for a midterm right um if turnout's at 42 percent in pennsylvania 
just like this California recall turned out 30%, 35%. There doesn't have to be a majority of Republicans registered in the state or in the state. They can win. Is the effect of the big lie going to seriously impact Republican turnout? I keep hearing this. Donald Trump kind of undermining the integrity of our elections is going to make uh, Republicans stay home. Is that the case? Do you see that as an actual thing or is that just people speculating? Yeah, I think that's crazy speculation. I would just because it happened in Georgia and that runoff a little bit like is not something that you should never expect Republican turnout to decline. Hmm. Interesting. So is there going to be an effect, too, of the quote-unquote dirtbag left? People like uh, Nina Turner, who lost her primary to Chantel Brown uh, yesterday, which is good news. Is there going to be an impact of these guys, uh, Jimmy Dore and Glenn Greenwald and the usual suspects, uh, who will drag down Democratic turnout and undermine Democratic campaigns through primary challenges and so on. Is that going to have any sort of negative impact or is it just going to be kind of a white noise on the side? I would assume that's what Putin's hoping for when he's writing his checks to people like (laughs) Greenwald, right? I mean, and, you know, I mean, Nina Turner. I mean, these guys are useful idiots at at the best and, and, you know, actual paid Russian operatives at the worst. And we honestly don't know. So I would tell a a listener anytime you see somebody bitching about, you know, a Democrat bitching about Democrats right now, I would wonder a little bit about that individual because look across what we're facing on the other side. Yeah, yeah. We are looking at falling into a, a, a fascist auto, autocracy. Mm-hmm. No lie. Yeah. Like, that's a serious thing we're facing. Yeah. And, you know, if, so if somebody's on Twitter or on my Twitter timeline or someone somewhere else bitching about Democrats right now. I got to wonder about their motivations. How do we emphasize the fascist idiocracy thing, Rachel, to just regular folks, regular voters who aren't wired into the political debate every day, who aren't looking at Twitter like you and I do 24-7, basically? How do we emphasize the fact that Republicans are going to bring about this American dictatorship, this American fascism? Yeah, you have to tell them. I mean, how did we convince Think about how salient socialism is now as yeah. a branding tech. You know, so if you can do that, there's no reason you can't tell average voters, hey, the, the Republican Party is falling into fascism. It's mm-hmm. just about at good ads that that get people's attention and break through because you need to deliver them in ways that actual people are going to see them. Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, most people don't watch TV um, and uh, those who do usually have a DVR. So you need to be delivered. You got it. Doesn't matter how great the message is. My best messages are useless unless I find a way to raise a lot of money to deliver them, which is the nut that I, I have to crack. Right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, if I had that money, if I had the money of, of, of some of these other organizations, that's what I'd be doing right now. I'd be micro targeting the hell out of the electorate just on this question of fascism, extremism and danger to them. It seems like whenever I bring this up to regular people, they kind of laugh it off and going, oh, there you guys go again. You people, you political people, you people on political Twitter. That's not real life. Political Twitter is not real life. You're saying something extreme to stir up people to get them to vote or get them to uh, be alarmists or whatever. Some other 
ulterior motive and it's not really happening it's just again more screaming of the cable news crowd and so on you oh you're screaming because you need to get more downloads on your podcast or something like that but it's real it's really really happening and i feel like it's not the message isn't penetrating and i hope uh the strike pack for example is able to break through that wall, is able to yeah, yeah. I emphasize mean, no one is this. delivering yeah. that message, though, Bob. I mean, mm. that's the point, is what I'm trying to make, right? I have the ad concepts. I have some, you know, one of them made, a couple of them made, many more in my head. The, you People don't think like that because we are not advertising to them to make them think like that, you know? Mm. So, like, if I had the money, I would be doing that. So, like, you're you're looking at these people, like, being, why aren't they freaked out? Yeah, but we're freaked yeah. out, not freaked out because they don't follow the news. They don't listen to you. They don't follow political Twitter. So they have no idea what's happening. And they will never know if we don't have a napalm level ad blitz to tell them. Well, that's absolutely mandatory for sure. Uh, before I let you go, Rachel, what letter grade would you give the Biden administration at this point? I think they're doing pretty well myself. But uh, wh- what do you think? What, what's your assessment of their performance so far? I think Biden's pretty much killing it. Yeah. Uh, I would give him an A minus. Um, nice. You know, the, uh, you know, so like, all right, so people often confuse, well, God, you can't have your candidates just walking around fascist, fascist, fascist. No, but it wouldn't hurt them to like do it sometimes. Right. Yeah. But like, yeah, the candidate does what the can- candidates are supposed to go out there and at the stump talk about local shit. And, you know, talk about, you know, cooperation or whatever. Although on the right, they don't do that, okay? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. But whatever, I'll give that to, like, Biden and to the candidates, right? Um, but ultimately, the, the campaign should know better, right? The campaign should know that voters will tell you 70% in a poll. I love bipartisanship, but yeah. they don't vote on it, okay? Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> so, like... So what's happening behind the scenes is different in terms of the messaging. And and so I think Biden's doing great, right? I mean, he's walking around, he's, you know, Grandpa Joe, and he's Mr. Empathy, and, you know, they're he's being boldly progressive. Yeah. I mean, that's the that's the irony of all these people who are bitching and moaning. Like, we have zero, we have basically no Senate majority because Manchin's in a Trump 35 state. And yet, look at, like, this has been the most progressive economic package like agenda legislative that we've seen since the new deal. Yeah. Right. Yep. And, and I, and I, and, and it tells me like Biden's team and, you know, Jen O'Malley, Dylan's no dummy. They understand like co the, the purpose and the need of coalitional turnout. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. they may not articulate it quite in the way that I do. And uh, they maybe they don't buy in that there's, you know, no way to persuade voters. Cause even the Lincoln project people thought they could persuade Republicans to not vote for Republicans. <laughs> yeah. I was like, yeah, that's not going to work, dude. Mm-hmm. Right. But yeah. like, you know, I mean, so, and those, but my point is not, is that those guys were, were very, very experienced, trained consultants. I mean, Stuart Stevens had been in five <laughs> Republican presidential campaigns and they thought that, right? So you can't really fault like the party for thinking that's how stuff still works, right? Mm -hmm. Just doesn't work like that, right? So um, anyway, I think Biden is leaning into being an what I call the unapologetic Democrat. He's not out there making a case for fiscal conservatism, which is the worst thing 
a moderate candidate can do. That's right. A moderate candidate in a swing race should be indicting the Republican Party, writ large, every single one of them, as a brand on Reaganomics and the destruction of the American middle class, the destruction of American infrastructure. They're hijacking into extremism. So even if they're not comfortable with taking the, the next leap to warn about collapse of democracy, they can still highlight how extreme that party is by talking about how it's blocking. I mean, it's basically covering up for domestic terrorists with mm-hmm. blocking the January 6th. So there's many, many ways. But the point is that each and every one of our, our frontline, moderate, swing district, marginal district, whatever candidates ought to be running on moxie. And they should be <laughs> making the Democratic brand look as good as they can and the Republican brand looking as bad as they can in yeah. every opportunity they have. Oh, yeah. And it just seems like the Republicans are making it really, really easy to emphasize how terrible their brand is. And it's, we just and, need to and, seize and, that and, opportunity. Yeah. And we're not doing it. Right? right. So like and we just I mean, Democrats just assume everybody follows the news and everybody knows what they're up to. Mm-hmm. No one. No one does. Yeah. Yeah. And if we don't tell them, if we don't tell them, then they're never going to know. Plus, you know, there's a case to be made, too, uh, with regard to the Biden administration, the Biden White House, that, look, this is how government is supposed to be run. This is real presidential leadership right here. No drama. They're competent. Joe Biden doesn't spend all his time on Twitter screaming, you know, uh, bullshit uh, uh, nicknames for people and so on. This is the way it's supposed to be. This is the way it's supposed to feel. The president exactly. isn't supposed to be in your living room 24-7. And, uh, you know, I don't know if there's any uh, dramatic way to emphasize that, to get people's attention, that this is very, very important. We want competency in the White House. And here it is. Here, here yeah, yeah, elect yeah. a Democrat, get I mean, competency. It, yes. Yeah. That was exactly right. I mean, that's why I said, like, mm. you know, one of the main hashtag strike pack that I you know have kicked out under strike pack is hashtag Democrats deliver, right? There you go. Get out yeah. there and make sure people understand that chaos that you lived under for four years that was capstoned with you know this this pandemic that that Trump mm-hmm. and his entire party, the Republican Party, just let run through our country, right? I mean it burned we have 20% of all the COVID deaths in the world. That's right. Because of their policies, right? Mm. Uh you you know, chaos, the chaos party, the party of no. Yeah. The party of chaos, a party of extremism. Those are the three trifectas that people should really be hammering. Well, you're doing amazing work, Rachel. The website is called strikepack.org. The Twitter handle is at strikepack. Thank you so much, Doc. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Take care. We'll see you next time. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Why? Why? If you have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. 